this will be our last sermon in our series on worship. So for those of you um, that have been um, with us for the past two months or so, we have been walking through this concept of worship, which we have really a warped understanding or an incomplete understanding of best of what worship is. When you think of worship, most of us think of the song part of the time together or our congregational worship time only is worship. So it is because of that we started this series on worship because we want to know what God says about worship. And so for the last eight weeks, we have studied this topic of biblical worship. And having studied that, having seen how God's word describes worship, and not only the idea of worship, how God's word describes the worshipers and their attitude and their actions and what he desires from them. We have walked through together, if you have been taking notes or if you have such great memory and you remember everything that we've discussed in the last eight weeks, we have looked at lots of theological truths, lots of doctrine, lots of teaching on worship. So as we come to the last sermon on worship, well, on this series, so on worship, should I say, um, we want to finish our series with what our practical duties are in worship. Because ultimately, knowing something and doing something are two different things. And this is something that most of us are familiar with. It's easy to tell you what worship is and who the worshipers are. And it's even easy for you to grasp it mentally or intellectually or theoretically and say, yeah, yeah, I know all these things. But if what we believe and what we know is not evident in the way that we actually live our lives, we have failed. We have missed the mark. So... We want to finish our series on worship, looking at the practical duties of worship of believers in this sermon called Practical Worship. So let's look at the first two verses, and really I want to emphasize the first verse this morning. This still morning, right? Barely. But this is a familiar passage, and I want us to to just read it together and consider it and pray and look at what the Lord has to teach us about practical worship. As Paul writes, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
so that you may know, so you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we come before you to ask you to teach us the truth of your word, but not only to teach our minds and our hearts, but to convict our will by the power of your spirit so that we may practically live out the words that you teach us this morning. We ask that you do that by the power of your spirit for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this passage shows us, or in this passage, God's word gives us three ways that we can know that our worship is practical and not just theoretical. Is your worship practical or is it theoretical? You guys know what those two words mean? Theory is just an idea that you know about. Practice is actually you actually doing the thing. So when you think about worship and what you know about worship, what you believe about worship, what are the ways that you can know that your worship has gone from just concept to an actual lifestyle. And in this passage, we'll see three fundamental um, ways that we can know that our worship is practical, not just theoretical. But before looking at these three ways, I want us to consider a few fundamental phrases found in this passage, especially in verse 1. Just a few fundamental phrases that I want to define or some words that I want us to define together, which will give us a basic working understanding of how we can live a life of worship. First thing that we must acknowledge is that, that only by the mercies of God can we actually live this out. Look down with me. Therefore, Paul says, I exhort you and I urge you, as some translations would have it, brothers, by the mercies of God. And that's the first fundamental phrase that I want to emphasize and I want us to really look at because the only way that you're going to be able to obey and actually live out a life of practical worship is not by you trying really, really, really hard or by following these seven formulas or 10 ways or whatever that I present to you today and my eloquence or lack thereof for that matter. It is only by the mercies of God. That's why Paul puts that right up front. He wants to know, he wants you to know it's based on everything that I've described. And this context is from chapter one to chapter 11. Paul has been laying out the groundwork for the gospel. What the gospel is, it's the power of God for salvation in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And he goes and says, hey, and you need this gospel. You need the power of God for salvation because all have sinned and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 3, 
verse 23. And in chapter 5, he tells us that we are reconciled with God and we have been justified through Christ Jesus by his death and his resurrection. Your sins have been forgiven. And before God, you have been justified. And you have been unified with Christ. You and Christ are one now. In chapter 7, and in chapter 8, he tells us that everything that happens in your life happens for the good. Because God has predestined you to be saved, and to be sanctified, and to be glorified. And based on all of these things, these are because God has been merciful to you. These are the mercies of God. He lays this out, and then he says, by these mercies... You are now exhorted to do this. Do these things by these mercies. Not do these things because you want to receive the mercies. So if we are to be practical worshipers, or if we want to live a life of practical worship, we must first acknowledge that it is only by the mercies of God that we are called to obey and consider this exhortation. Secondly, the this three distinguishing um, traits of practical worship, which we'll see here in a minute, are only applied to those who have this knowledge of the mercies of God, which means, by implication, do you have the knowledge of the mercies of God? If you don't, You should get to know them this morning. Because it only applies to those who have the knowledge of the mercies of God. And that's why he says, I exhort you. Who does he say? Look down in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, everyone in the world. Is that what he says? He says, I urge you, I exhort you. Who is he addressing directly, exactly? Brothers. I mean, he doesn't just mean male Brothers, this word is actually brothers and sisters. Who is these brothers and sisters? These are the people that are in the family of God. Those that have been adopted into the family of God by the mercies of God through Christ Jesus. So he's talking about believers. So if you're not a believer, first and foremost, you can't have a life of practical worship. You can attempt to, but you won't be able to. That's the implication that we draw from here. Hence Paul says, brothers. Those belonging to the family of God. So the reason I am emphasizing this is because you must have come to know the deep compassion and sympathy that God has bestowed on your sinful soul through His Son, Jesus Christ, to justify you and to sanctify you before you attempt to engage in practical worship. So before you start engaging in practical worship, you must first know the deep compassion and sympathy on God He bestowed on you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Simply put, this is this idea of practical worship is your response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you respond to believing in the gospel? 
by living a life of practical worship, which is God's power for salvation. So what Paul is saying here is, since God has saved you, you should respond to Him in your spiritual service of worship by presenting your body as a sacrifice. The second phrase or word that I want us to, to consider is the word sacrifice. What is biblical sacrifice? The reason I want us to consider this together this morning is because biblical sacrifice is not just whimsical. Right? It's like, oh, I feel like sacrificing this today. It's not something random. It's not something that you do just because you feel like it. You don't make up biblical sacrifices. You go, or as you see fit. But biblical sacrifice is actually established in the reality of a covenant relationship. Biblical sacrifice is established in the reality of a pact, a binding contract, if you will. There's a commitment about biblical sacrifice. It's not something that I, I do when I feel like it, and I don't when I don't feel like it. And that's why it's done in the context of the church. Those of us, by the way, that have come to know the gospel and have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are under covenant. This is a pact. You don't get to choose when you show up and praise God and when you don't. There's a commitment, a lifelong commitment that is binding on our souls. And such is the nature of biblical sacrifice. And another thing we know about biblical sacrifice is it is the means by which God wills to have personal dealings with his people. And we've studied this all throughout our series. Sacrifice and worship are synonymous. Anytime there's worship, there's sacrifice. The very first worship service that has been known to humanity, what is happening between the two brothers, Abel and Cain? Before they kill each other. Why did they kill each other? Because one's worship was greater than the other one. What was that worship done by? What is the means by which they worship God? It's to offer a sacrifice before God. So worship and sacrifice are synonymous because sacrifice is the means by which God wills to have a personal dealing with you and I. And love and faithfulness and obedience and praise are presented in the Bible as the pure forms of sacrifice. Right? It's not the bulls that God is after. It's not the rams that God is after. It's not the... The, the burnt offerings and, the, and all the bloody scene of, of the temple that God is really after. But love, faithfulness, obedience, and praise, those are the pure 
forms of sacrifice. We know this about biblical sacrifice. And I wanted to lay that out before us this morning before I jumped into the rest of our conversation. So it is in, in light of this, I want us to consider Paul's exhortation, his command, if you will, to the Roman believers, to the church in, in Rome, and by extension to our church this morning. What these Christians in Rome are urged to do is to present their bodies as a sacrifice. You see that right there in verse 1. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice. Notice what he's asking them to present as a sacrifice. It's not just merely their minds. It's not just merely their intellect. It's not just merely their wills. It's their body. Even though those things are essential, the body, however, is the entirety of who you are. Do you have a will to choose where to sit, to choose whether to get up and walk out and come back and sit down and to look down at your Bible? Do you have an intellect to, to actually understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Can you do and exercise those things outside of your body? The answer is no, you can't do that. So wherever your body is, there your intellect is. Wherever your body is, there your will is. So when he says present your body, he's not just merely talking about the physical form of the body. He's talking about the whole being. God wants the believers to present their bodies only through the body and practically that we can serve God and worship God because we look one commentator writes this we look, we speak, we hear, we write we nurse, we travel by the means of this material servants of the will which is our living limbs, our bodies Whatever we do, whether we look, whether we speak, whether we hear, we do it in our bodies. And that's why God says, present your bodies before me. Therefore, without the surrender of the body, we cannot surrender the whole soul. This is rather a strange request for God to make of his children, especially considering the quality and the characteristic of the sacrifice of this body that he demands of them. Because the first quality or character of this body that is supposed to be sacrificed is that it needs to be living. That's what we see, right? Present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, which is the first characteristic or the first quality of the sacrifice. So the quality of your practical worship, the quality of your sacrifice needs to be living. He says that sacrifice needs to have life. It needs to be alive. 
which is strange because both in ancient Roman religion or even in Judaism, anytime a sacrifice is made, it's never alive. They usually kill it before they put it on the altar of a sacrifice. They're always dead. But God says, in this new covenant, by the mercies of God, your sacrifice needs to be alive. Here the command of the believers is that they would make their bodies, their whole being, their praise and their obedience and their faithfulness and their love of God about their life. That's what their life is supposed to be like. That's what our lives are supposed to be like. Our life, our entirety of it, all of our lives, everything you are and everything you do must be done out of the desire to love and to obey and to be faithful and to praise God. That's what a living sacrifice does. By the way, just as an aside, only two living sacrifices we see in, in, in the entirety of the Bible. I'm so tempted to give a pop quiz of, uh, I know one is a low-hanging fruit and most people would know it because, I mean, every answer in Sunday school is what? Jesus, right? But who is the other living sacrifice that ever was listed in the Bible? Isaac, wow, we have one very well Bible intellect in here, right? Isaac was the other living sacrifice. He was supposed to be sacrificed, right? But he came back alive. I mean, that was just to point us to who Christ is, ultimately, because we know that Isaac did die the way that we die. But Jesus is forevermore alive, same way we will be. So in this new covenant, we are asked not to just kill ourselves. but to have a life that is filled with praise, obedience, faithfulness, and love for God. That's what a living sacrifice looks like. Practically, that's what it looks like. Your whole life, your whole being, whatever you say your life is, wherever you are alive, where are you alive? Everywhere that you are alive, right? If you're sitting in front of me right now and you're looking at me, you're hearing me and you, you actually have oxygen flowing through your blood and you're inhaling and exhaling, you are alive. When, you, when the service is over and you go home, are you alive there? Yes. When you're asleep, are you alive there? Yes. When you wake up tomorrow morning and go to school or go to work or go, to, go about your day, are you alive there? Yes. Wherever you are alive, practically what that looks like is obey God. Love God. Be faithful to God. That's your sacrifice, your living sacrifice of your body. Wherever your body is, wherever you're alive, that's a living sacrifice. That's what practically it looks like. Secondly, the quality and the characteristic of your Oh, wow. I just noticed that. It says two on here. 
I don't know how it came up as one on there. But I digress. Secondly, the, the second quality that we see of our acceptable worship, our spiritual service of worship, is that it needs to be holy. Word of God tells us that, that our bodies that are being presented as a sacrifice should be holy. What does that word holy mean? Needs to be fully devoted to God. What part of our life should be wholly devoted to God? The one that shows up on Sunday mornings or Friday nights or Sunday afternoons or whenever you have Bible study at home and whenever you have your devotional time in the morning. No, the whole thing needs to be devoted to God. But beyond the devotion to God, it also needs to have moral purity. That's what holiness is. Holiness is not just about being devoted to God, but it's also about your moral purity. Your bodies, our bodies, need to be clean and pure. When I say our body, I don't mean our physical body. That's our will, our heart, our, our whole being needs to be purified and, and cleansed from sin and unrighteousness. And you're hearing this and you're like, oh man, I really have a whole bunch of sins that I'm fighting with and I can't do this by myself. So you're telling me that in order for me to live a practical worship lifestyle, I need to actually purge the sins. Yes and no. Yes, you do need to, but not by your own power. Remember how Paul started. I urge you, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is the power of God. It's by the means of God's power and mercy that you will be able to present your body to be holy, to have this quality of cleansing and purity and moral purity and devotion that's not based on your own little exercises that you do. I go to church, I go to that church, and then I go to this church, I go to Awana afterwards, and then I go to this one, and I go to that one, and I, I engage in all these kind of spiritual activities. Those things are good. I'm not saying those things are bad, but you don't do that to purify yourself. You don't do that to be holy. You do that because you are being made holy, because you are being made pure. So holiness also implies a dedication to the covenant relationship. Holiness implies that it needs the need to be set apart from the thing God rejects in the world. This is why Paul says, do not be conformed to this world or to the patterns of this world. I think the NIV has it that way. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Holiness includes that. Be set apart. Don't do what the, word, the world around you is doing. 
Why? Because you are ones who are partaking the mercies of God. If you want to practically worship, even though you are in the world, you are not of the world. So you don't pursue the same things with the same motivation as the rest of the world does. Now the world may be pursuing uh, academic success, and I'm not saying that you should stop going to school and just, or stop going to work and stop paying bills. That's not what I'm saying. Not with the same motivation and the same desire as the world does. Because what is the world, what is the world's motivation? We saw it. It's to fatten them, their own selves, right? We saw it in, in our scripture reading. To oppress others. But we don't do those things for that. We do this to praise God, to show our faithfulness to God, but through, to show our obedience to God, and because we love God. Those are our motivations. Those are our spiritual sacrifices. Those are the virtues that we, we pursue. So we are being set apart from the things that God rejects. That's holiness. That's the quality and the characteristic of your spiritual and of your practical worship. So don't do the things the world is doing. It's very simple. It's straightforward. Be dedicated to the covenant relationship that you have with God. This, how many of us and how many of you, honestly, and then you don't have to answer this to me, consider your relationship as a marriage relationship, right? And I don't mean a 21st century marriage where whenever I don't feel like it, I fell out of love with my wife, I'm going to just go ahead and, and hire a lawyer for $9.99 and then just, like, I don't mean $9.99. I don't know if you've seen those um, advertisements. They're all over the place. Divorce lawyer, $999 flat. Right? Not that kind of marriage relationship. Like a real committed, like, biblical marriage relationship. You just don't leave when you, whenever you don't feel like it. Is that the way that you see your relationship with God? Because holiness means to be totally dedicated to that kind of relationship. Holiness means that your whole life, inside and out, and thought and speech and in deed, has to reflect the level of purity and commitment and, 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 and sanctification that we see in God's Word. That's the second practical way that you can know. Am I living that way? Am I being holy? Am I pursuing holiness? Because you can tell me that you're a worshiper. You can even fool me. I might even think that you're a worshiper. But if you're not practically presenting your body as a living sacrifice, or as a sacrifice that is living, that is holy, then you will fail to meet the first or the third quality of your worship, which is to be pleasing, which is to be acceptable. 
to God. That's what he says. Present your bodies as a sacrifice. One, that sacrifice is living. Two, that sacrifice is holy. And three, it is pleasing. And some translations say as acceptable. The believers presenting their bodies as a sacrifice here need to be pleasing in the sight of God, need to be accepted by that. By the way, the implication here is that there could be and there is a displeasing and an acceptable presentation of sacrifice. So you can pour yourself out or you can do the things that you think are right or you can be sacrificing something or yourself even and still come up short. That's the implication here. And that's why Paul is careful to outline this to his readers and by God's own grace and providence, he outlines this to us today. That the presentation of your whole being in praise, in obedience, in love, and in faithfulness needs to be equivalent to something that God will accept, that God would fully agree with. Another way to put that is, would God agree with the way that you live in your life of holiness? Would God agree with the way that you're presenting your practical worship? And if we're honest, we're more concerned about whether or not we agree as a congregation than whether or not God agrees. And that's, that's given so much grace to, to us if we are agreeing as a congregation. Forget the congregation. We're more concerned about if my friend agrees with the way that I live my life. practically, then whether or not if God agrees with it. And what Paul is saying is if you're going to live a life of worship, practically, if this is going to be your response to the gospel, you need to be concerned whether or not if God himself would fully agree with your lifestyle and your decisions, your holiness. Because if God doesn't fully agree with your obedience, if God doesn't fully agree with your praise, if God doesn't agree with your love towards Him and your faithfulness to Him, then whatever you present to Him is deemed unacceptable. It's not pleasing in His sight. I don't know about you all, I don't want to be that guy. So true, practical worship of a Christian, of a believer, needs to meet the satisfactory standards of God he sets in his word. The standard is set. It's there. It doesn't change. Heaven and earth shall pass away, 
but not, not one dot, one tittle would ever pass away from the Word of God. The Word of God is set. That's it. The standards are here. So the burden is on us now. Again, not in of ourselves, but by the mercies of God. Are you going to present your body as a sacrifice, your whole being, in your life, in your pursuit of holiness, the way that God deems acceptable? Is it according to the satisfactory standards of God that He set forth in His Word? Is that how you're worshiping Him? Because what we're commanded here, what we're exhorted here, what we're urged here, what we're encouraged to do here, what I'm doing up here is to encourage all of us to do this as it is pleasing to God. So even though Paul is talking here in a more practical terms, and then from here on it's, it's about Christian living. What does that look like? Your Christian life is a life of worship. That's where he starts. Your Christian life is not, God didn't save us to just let us be our own selves. Free to do whatever we want to, and then whenever we feel bad about something we did, we come back and say, God, please forgive me. And then just go back and do whatever we want to, and then just keep coming back and then doing the same thing. God has called us to present ourselves as a sacrifice. That is living, that is holy, and that is acceptable in His sight. These are practical terms that you can understand. It doesn't get any easier than that to explain. I, I mean, I, I'm about to be done, and I have seven minutes. It's so easy. It's right straightforward. But I urge you, as Paul is exhorting the believers in Rome, I urge you now, and the, and the, the Word of God urges all of us now to present our bodies as a sacrifice because He did not pour out His mercy on us just so that we can just be whoever we want to be and live however we want to live. We are called to live a practical life of worship. So what Paul essentially is restating here is the truth that is in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. where he says, and do not go on presenting your members to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Don't go about sinning. Don't go about giving your will, your intellect, your, your time, your money, your efforts, uh, your, your body even physically, your eyes, your ears, your hands, all of those things. Don't go about presenting your members to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness, but instead what he says is present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. 
Are you alive from the dead? Yes, I pray you are. So because you are alive from the dead, don't go about sinning and giving yourself up. Why? Because in Romans 6.16, when you go on presenting yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves to the one that you're presenting it to. That's, that's the case. When you actually present yourself, present your body over, present your attitude, present your thought and your money and everything else to someone, you are presenting, it, presenting yourself as a slave. Is what he says. Because you are a slave of the one whom you obey. So either of sin leading to death or of obedience to God leading to righteousness. So whoever you present your body to, to that you are a slave. Either you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to God, which is to life and righteousness. Knowing that is where this exhortation comes to play. I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is, by the way, if you notice, the word which is, is in italics in your Bibles. If it's in italics, it's just there for our understanding. It's not an original language, but it makes sense for us to read it. That's the implication of the original language. But the word which is, is not in there. So this presenting your body as a sacrifice is your worship. That's it. Your spiritual service of worship is equal to your body, presenting your body as a sacrifice. So who you're going to worship practically? Your sin? Yourself? Your urges? Your social media page, YouTube shorts, it's the devil, right? Who are you going to give yourself over to? Your studies? Your career? Your families? Instead, you must live this life. We must live this life that we now have, having been given the mercies of God, as belonging, as one who, is, who belongs to God. We belong to God. God is our owner, our master, our Lord. And that is done by renouncing and denying yourself carrying your cross daily, and imitating and following the Lord Jesus Christ. If any of you want to follow me, Jesus says, you must deny yourself. Sounds like sacrificing your body. Pick up 
your cross daily, practical living, and follow me. That's what that looks like. We look to Christ for that because he is the embodiment. He is the perfect accomplishment of what a living sacrifice is. He is the perfect embodiment and the perfect accomplishment of holiness. Who else is holy but him? Who else is pleasing to God than Jesus Christ? So if you want to worship God, this is what it looks like practically. Live every aspect of your life in holiness, seeking to please Him. You do that by looking less like the world and more like Jesus Christ. By not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have taken this season of our lives to teach us about worship from your word so that we may know how to worship you, so we may know who you are and how we ought to worship you in spirit and truth. So as you have encouraged us, urged us, commanded us, and exhorted us this morning to present our bodies as a sacrifice before you, so we do by the power of your Spirit, according to your mercies that you've bestowed on us through Christ. So Father, cause us to be living sacrifices, holy sacrifices, and pleasing sacrifices, not in it of ourselves, not inherently by our own efforts, not by power or our might, but by your Spirit and through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.